Well, uh, before we jump in, let me just give you a quick update on where we're at at Spring Hill. Uh, our, our hope is to be back in worship after Thanksgiving, uh, hopefully the Sunday of Thanksgiving. Uh, we, I, uh, I did a really good job of directly exposing every staff member at Spring Hill uh, last week. And so uh, we just want to do our best uh, to uh, ensure the church's health. And we figured this hybrid was, was the best model for that. Um, and I reiterate what I had said to the church earlier this week. Uh, keep this in mind. This is a temporary, a temporary thing. Jesus is eternal. Our salvation is eternal. And uh, we will get back into the building. Our hope and prayer is to be back in for, uh, for the holidays here. So um, better now than then. And we will continue to pray and our elders will continue to lead us. Um, and on that note of leadership, I just want to pay a, a particular thanks. In fact, you can feel free if you're on Facebook, blow up the comments right now with Thanksgiving for our staff. Uh, I work with the best staff in the country, and I'm so grateful for them and uh, their pivot. Thank you to all of you for what you do. Uh, it, it, uh, it has been a year, and yet uh, we are in such good hands, not only because we're in God's hands, but because of this staff and their faithfulness. So thank you to what... Uh, to each of you for what you do. Um, if you're joining with us this morning, we are continuing on in this uh, this sermon series on the Gospel of John. And uh, last Sunday, we came across this story where uh, where Jesus comes to this well. It's in the middle of the day. Um, his disciples have gone into town to grab food, and he encounters this woman who is completely alone. Um, and when you first read this story, you might, you might think of it as a normal encounter, but uh, it's anything but a normal encounter. I assure you of that. Um, in first century Palestine, we learned last week, the social hour at any well was either morning or evening. And yet this woman has come at high noon. It is the hottest hour of the day. And, and it appears as though she is choosing, she is choosing this time frame um, intentionally. Um, almost as if she's hiding from, from the crowds, and it's clear she doesn't want to be seen. She's now uh, living with a six men out of wedlock. Before that, she had five different husbands. And with those actions, that's made her the definition of taboo. Uh, she's been canceled. She's an outcast. And so she brings all this baggage with her, and she comes to this well, and now she unexpectedly meets this Jewish man, who it almost seems as though he's waiting for her. And as she sets her jar on the ground, um, Jesus asks this woman for a drink. And with that question, we learned last week, nothing will ever be the same. Everything in this woman's life has changed because she learned, Jesus tells her, if you knew who I was, if you knew who it was that was asking you for a drink, you would have asked me and I would have given you eternal water. Water that never runs dry. Um, so that was last week. The first act ended. We went on an intermission for the week. And now today comes part two of this story where the disciples have now arrived back from their food run and they are perplexed at what they, they see. The, the scene is entirely confusing to them. So let's, let's open up our Bibles if you have them with you. Uh, we're going to read John's Gospel chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 27 to 45. 27 to 45. Let's hear now uh, God's word. <clears throat> Just then, his disciples came back. 
They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left. She left her jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of town and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. The grass withers and the flower fades, but this is the word of God and it endures forever. So I want to begin this morning with a, a question. It's a bit of a heavy question. It's a loaded question, but it kept coming to my mind as I opened up this passage earlier this week, and I want to bring you into this, this, this question, uh, and it looks like this. Um, what is your greatest burden? What is your greatest burden? As you think about that, let me just unpack that word for a minute. Um, when I think of the word burden, uh, I think of something that is carried. Right, Webster's Dictionary talks about this uh, as though he, he dropped his burden of firewood. Um, or, or when I think of burden, I think of something um, oppressive or worrisome. Again, Webster says it like this, it's as in to hold a heavy burden of guilt, to carry the load of sorrow. In Hebrew, there's a few words for burden. One of them is sebel. And uh, it's used to describe hard or forced labor, um, such as a, a burden carried on someone's shoulders or pulled by a plow. Uh, in Psalm 81.6, God talks about removing the burdens uh, of the people's shoulders. There's this idea of toil and hardship behind that word. In fact, the same root word in Hebrew is, is used for, for pregnancy, uh, of carrying the weight of a, of a child with you. So when I ask, what is your greatest burden? What I mean is, what is weighing on you? Um, what has been preoccupying your thoughts lately or, or slowing you down? We're going to narrow in a, a bit more on that as we talk this morning. Uh, but last Sunday, we learned that, that this, there, as a young woman in, uh, in ancient Israel, it was literally on you to provide the day's water for your household. 
The only way to do this was to carry a, a clay pot either on your head or your shoulder or your hip. And uh, you'd finally get to the well. You would remove this stone cover, which was nearly impossible to do on your own. And then you would lower your container into the spring and carry a much heavier jar back home. And much like today, you can imagine life revolved around water. Whether that was cooking or bathing or cleaning, there was never enough water. And so this physical burden primarily rested on the young women of these communities. And and the trip was so demanding, though, that every woman in the village throughout their life could relate to this kind of burden. There was no such thing as a lightweight clay pot. It was work. It was hard-earned labor, and everyone understood the the challenge. But then there was this this other woman, or this other burden uh, that this woman carried, And this burden went much deeper, far deeper. This woman carried the stigma of sin and shame wherever she went. Because in her life, she had made choices that soon led to more choices that now she couldn't take back. And her past was literally still playing out into her future. She knew what it was to bear a burden unlike anyone around her. Which begs the question, uh, what is yours? I don't mean like the the burden of providing for your family. Um, That one we can all relate to. The burden of putting food on the table every day. We know what that's like. I don't mean uh, not referring to the burden of COVID or or, uh, the struggles that we've had with that. We're literally all living that together right now. Uh, Go a bit deeper than that. Let's do this. Um, What about the burdens of your past that you now carry that maybe even no one else knows about? The things that you wish that you could change or, or at least reconcile with, but for some reason they are still sitting on your shoulders. Back in the late 1800s, the, uh, the insurance industry in Great Britain had started to take hold. It was a brand new thing. And this concept of insurance was so new that it hadn't really been fully tested. And so almost immediately, uh, local shipyards uh, had figured out a way to exploit this system Um, And here's how the scheme went down. Um, Ship owners would apply for insurance and and then they would take these rundown vessels and they would send them out to the seas overloaded with cargo and then they would wait for them to sink under their own weight. And after they went to the bottom of the ocean, they would rake in the cash. And at the time, the practice was actually completely legal, but it was certainly far from ethical. And here's why I say that. The men, uh, there were men on those ships when they went to the bottom of the ocean, they became known as coffin ships. So a well-known politician named Samuel Plimsoll saw this and he was heartbroken by it. Um, Plimsoll was a man of faith and he was angry about this injustice that he saw playing out. And so in 1873, he created something called the Merchant Shipping Act. The act mandated that all vessels have a line drawn along their holes that would now create a load limit. And if the water line went above the whole line, you didn't sail. So after Parliament uh, passed this procedure, it became known as the Plimsoll Mark. Um, Still today, if you tour shipyards, you will see these marks on ships. And I share that with you to to say that the problem with cargo, uh, the problem with our burdens is sometimes we don't even realize it, but we're out sailing the seas far above the Plimsoll line. 
if we don't deal with our past, if, if we don't reconcile with, with what, what, it, what has happened to us and the choices we've made, it won't be long before we find ourselves barely keeping the ship above water. Just imagine what it must have been like to be that Samaritan woman for a minute. Like she was ruined, right? She was completely isolated by her own sin. The, the burdens of her choices were literally too real for her to hide. They were too, too raw for her to be seen in public. And so we open up our lesson today, and it's no longer just Jesus and her at this well dealing with this issue, but now all the other disciples have gathered. Like her wounds have never been more exposed, right? It's hard to even wrap your mind around just how radical this moment really was. Jesus was living in a society at that time where women had little status. They were seen as, a, as the lesser than, right, in just about every way. And if you were a rabbi, as Jesus was, rabbis believed that spending any sort of time in conversation with a woman was a distraction. And here's why. A rabbi had to be solely devoted to the word, to the Torah. So even a, a lengthy conversation with a, a rabbi and his wife would have been looked down upon. This is a drastic moment for Jesus. He has broken the social code, the social norms of his day. Look at this in verse 27. Verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? You ever seen a moment play out like this um, where it's clear that everyone in the room is judging someone, but no one's talking about it? You know, maybe, um, maybe it's that person who wore the, the wrong wedding dress or the wrong dress to a wedding, or, or maybe it's somebody who um, at, at a, a Christmas party or, or another gathering has had too much to drink and everybody's just kind of awkwardly gathered around looking at them. The Samaritan woman lived that kind of life, right? She's carrying that burden wherever she goes. She can't shake it. The perceptions have literally become her reality. And see, and that's the core issue of this passage today, that the core issue is that these perceptions are not only of those who are judging this woman, but the core issue is that this woman now carries the same perceptions of herself. Her choices have become her identity. So really, when, when you look in the mirror, when no one else is around, ask yourself this, what is it that you see? What is the burdens that you carry? Maybe still from your own past unreconciled. Mistakes, regrets, slip-ups, we all have them. You know, at Spring Hill, we have this collective dream. We've said we exist to build authentic community in Christ. Because if we're going to be a church to call home, the first step has to be that we're comfortable in who we are. And who we are is really simple. We are a broken people restored by Him. That's it, right? Don't make it any more complicated than that. We are a broken people restored by the grace and love and mercy of Jesus Christ. And I have to say, you know, I was thinking about it this morning. This, this online worship thing we know is far from ideal. Praise God for people like Reed who, uh, who make this happen and pivot. Um, I'm, praising, I'm praying we can be back in the sanctuary in the next few weeks. But in the meantime, this is my thought. Um, in the meantime, I believe God's presented us with a unique moment right now where no one's even looking at you in the room, right? No one's judging you from across the way. You don't have to check your facial expressions right now or hide from this topic. So really just search this out with me. Let's just get real for a minute. What has been weighing on your soul? 
Carl Menninger, who was a, a prominent psychiatrist, he once said if he could just convince his admitted patients that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them would walk out the next day healed. There's something I, um, I, I caught earlier this week as I was studying this lesson, and it's so blatantly obvious, but I, I can't help but, but make sure that we see it. Look at this in verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now just stop and picture this with me for a minute. This woman's number one responsibility, the, the entire reason she has come to this well was to bring water for her family back home, right? That was her daily burden, to, to ensure that her family had sustenance, water for life. And yet she leaves this jar at the foot of the well to go run in on a new mission. That doesn't make sense, right? Like she has left the original game plan. But that's not the obvious part I want us to see. This, this is the obvious part. How is it that this woman went from hiding in shame in the new day sun to now running into a town square as the spokesperson for Christ? Like it seems to me, you either carry the burdens that you weren't meant to bear or you leave them at the well with Christ, right? This is the mercy of God. This woman goes from separation and seclusion to now unashamed boldness for Jesus. And yet, for whatever reason, many of us, even, even those of us who have followed Christ our entire lives, we choose time and time again to sit in the sin and shame and guilt of yesterday. You know, for the Christian, it's an undue burden that plays out, I think, in ways we'll never even fully understand. Because instead... Um, we just hide it. We, we, we put that pastor under this facade that our families are perfect, that our marriages are perfect, that our children are perfect, and that somehow we too have it all together. And in so doing, we damage our witness to the gospel. Because Jesus didn't come for the righteous, he said. He came for the sinner. I mean, really, think about this with me. How is it that Christ knew all about the dirt of this woman's life and yet she's the one to share the good news? Just think about how twisted and backwards that is. Right? You screw up in this life, you are fired, you are out, you're canceled. No company or brand wants their influences or their famous people bringing that kind of negative baggage to the dance. And so we put all of our energy into image, right? And we carefully craft who it is that we are because if, tr if anyone truly knew um, if anyone really understood, the fear is that we'd all be alone. Here's the Jesus I know, though. The Jesus that I know is in the burden business. Time and time again, he takes the worst of sinners. He takes the damaged goods, the ones no one else even wants. And time and time again, he removes their burden and uses them now for their kingdom. For freedom's sake, the Bible says, you have been set free for that purpose. So that begs the question, why is the jar still on your shoulder? In my office here at our house, um, I have this glass container full of broken pottery. I should have brought it out so I could show you. Um, Jen and I picked it up along the way uh, years ago on our trip to Israel. And sometimes I'll take a piece of this, this pottery out and I'll look at it and just think about what it must have been. Was it a plate? Was it a bowl? Was it a lamp? 
Um, and every time I look at these shattered pieces, I also think about who was it that must have used them. And I think we often think of our, our, our lives like that broken pottery, right? Um, as, as some kind of mystery to be solved, as something that will never be put back together again. The accuser comes in and we hear these whispers of, oh, you messed it up. You will never put those pieces back. That's broken. You can't fix that. You, you don't even know how to begin to, to get that looking whole again. And yet this scorned woman, she comes to the well in her disgrace and humiliation, and yet she leaves leading people to Christ. The same people who ignored her and, and shamed her and judged her are now following this woman. Look at this in John 4.30. They went out of town and were now coming to him. Here's the point. There are so many other things uh, that I could talk about in this passage um, it's rich with life lessons, but I just want us to sit with this one reality today and this week. Look at this in verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Just think about this with me. Notice, notice what the scripture didn't say. It didn't say all the others looked up to this perfect woman who had her life together. It didn't say that many followed because she already had 10,000 followers on social media and looked like one of the cool kids in the room. It didn't say they followed her because they wanted this woman's poise or her confidence and chased after it. No, it said she confessed out loud without any shame or guilt or burden. He knows everything about me. Every secret, every mistake, every regret, every wound, and yet still loves me enough to die for me. Here's my challenge for us this week. Um, whatever your burden is, hear this from me, from my heart. Life is too short. It is far shorter than we can even realize. And you are not meant to bear that weight. So this is my invitation. It comes to us from chapter 11 of Matthew's gospel. Listen to this. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, leave the jar at the well. Man, if you want to talk more about what that looks like, I want to invite you to our Zoom call right after the service. Um, I plan to hang out for, for a little bit. This COVID gives some, some fatigue, but I'm feeling fired up with the Holy Spirit right now. Um, so please jump on that Zoom call. If you don't have that link, Misty, our communications director is online. She can help you get that. Just send a message to our Facebook page. She can get you in. Um, and I'll say this too. If it's more personal than that, and you need a prayer or you need somebody to walk through this process with you, just go ahead and do this. Uh, you can get on our website, send us a, a, a card, a connect card and, and let us know a prayer request. You can DM us on Facebook, on any of our social media, um, and our elders will be in touch with you. We want to see people set free. That's what we mean when we say we're a church to call home, that all are welcome, because we know that when you gather at a place like a well with Jesus, you will never, ever leave the same. Let's cling to that good news this week, shall we? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for loving us. Lord, we thank you for meeting us right where we, where we are, Lord, uh, for catching us off our, off our guard in those moments where 
uh, we look in the mirror and wonder, am I good enough? Can I ever come back from my past? Can I, uh, can I really be that person that you would send? And yet, God, you sent murderers transformed to share the good news of Jesus Christ. You sent adulterers whose lives were transformed to share the good news of Christ. Lord, you sent the, those who, who believed they had nothing left and filled them up with a, a spring that was overflowing to go and share the good news. So God, we pray this week, Lord, help us to know the love that you have and then help us to pass that love on. Lord, that others would come and see you too. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen.